Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. I want to know if you waited for it. I wanted to know if you waited just for this specific moment that he knew was going to happen. They had uh, just finished seeing another crazy afternoon as they fed maybe 10, 12, 15,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. And as he's uh, going about his way after this, he's, he's with his disciples, and I wonder if Jesus was just waiting specifically for this moment, if enough had happened and if they had been a part of and seen enough in the life and the ministry so far of Jesus. And we come to this point in Luke 9 when um, it says in verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private, he and his disciples were with him. He asked them, who do the crowds say I am? That's a, like a setup question. Have you ever had one of those, a setup question before the real question comes? You know, like the, hey, what are you guys doing this weekend? And you're like, uh, like nothing. And it's the setup for the real question. Oh, man, you want to help us move? Right? <laughs> it's the setup for the real one. Because you can't be like, oh, no, we got some, dang it, we already told you. Man, the dentist just called me and wanted to practice a procedure. <laughs> you can't, you can't do, do that stuff. It was a setup. He knew Jesus asked them, who, who do the crowds say that I am? He already knew the answer to that question. He's been, he's been hanging out with people, shaking hands, kissing babies. He's been doing the miracle stuff after everything. He's heard them. It, it's really the setup for this next question, which is, who do you say I am? And that's a question that happened then, and I think it's a question that is just as relevant and important right now in this room even today. So I started thinking about who do people say that Jesus is and where do they get this idea of who Jesus is? And I began to think of a lot of different things. I think about how many people know Christians only from what they've seen on television. I so assume that Jesus is anti-science, anti-gay, standing out on a sidewalk with his bullhorn telling people that they're going to burn forever. You know that, Jesus? Or what about the other Jesus is that oftentimes I've spent time with uh, friends who are atheists and we walk and we talk about the God they don't believe in and we quickly discover that I don't believe in that God either. Or there's just the ones that says, hey, you don't talk about it. You don't talk and walk around and talk about the different Jesuses and who they are to different people because it's a, it's a personal thing. Knowing Jesus is a personal thing, it's about whether or not a person has a personal relationship with God through Jesus, however that happens, whomever told whomever, however it was done, that's the bottom line, it's a personal relationship. And if we don't have that, we will die apart from God. But for some, the problem is, however, is that the phrase personal relationship is never used in the Bible. It's found nowhere in the New Testament, it's found nowhere in the, Old Te- in the Hebrew Scriptures. Jesus never used the phrase, Paul didn't, neither did James Peter or John. But yet Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. And then brings up this faith, this gigantic faith question, but income creeping in is doubt, and then doubt grows upon doubt, and then that really leads itself to faith growing even larger. You have to have the two together, and what I've discovered is that faith and doubt are not opposites. They are, it turns out, excellent dance partners. In Luke 7, we read a story about a Roman centurion who sends a message to Jesus telling him that all he has to do is say the word and his servant will be healed. 
Jesus is amazed at the man's confidence in him and turning to the crowd following him, he says, I tell you, I have never seen such great faith even in Israel. In Luke 18, we read that Jesus tells a story about two people going to the temple to pray. One prays about how glad he is not to be a sinner like other people, while the other stands at a distance and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then in Luke 23, the man hanging on the cross next to Jesus saying to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus assures him that they will be together in paradise. In the first story, the centurion speaks about how authority works. In the second story, we hear that a man is praying for mercy. And in the third story, the man asks to be remembered for the future date and time. So what is it? Is it authority? Is it mercy? Is it remembered? In John 3, he tells us a man named Nicodemus. He says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And then in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says that if you forgive others, you too will be forgiven. But if you don't forgive others, you will not be forgiven. In Matthew 7, Jesus explains that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but only those who do the will of my Father. So what is it? Is it authority? Is it mercy? Is it forgiveness? Is it remembered? Is it born again? Is it the will of my Father? We see in Luke 19, Zacchaeus, a wee little man. A wee little man was he in a tree. We uh, hear that Zacchaeus tells Jesus, he says to Jesus, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I'll repay them back four times the amount. And Jesus responds, today salvation has come to this house. Mark 2, Jesus is teaching in a house and they suddenly begin to notice that the roof is falling apart as they realize four guys are digging a hole, cutting a hole in the roof to lower their friend down. They've dragged for miles on ends down to put him in front of Jesus because they can't even get in through the front door. Once Jesus sees their faith, he says to the paralyzed man, son, your sins have been forgiven. In Luke 11, Pharisees say that the only way that Jesus can drive out demons is that he is in a league with the devil. In Mark 3, Jesus' family members come to get him because they think he's out of his mind. Luke 7, a woman who's lived a sinful life crashes a dinner party, shows up and washes his feet with perfume after wetting them with her tears and drying them with her hair. And then Jesus tells her that her sins have been forgiven. In Matthew 16, when Jesus asks his disciples, and in Luke 9, when he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do the crowds say that I am? Their response is they replied, some say John the Baptist, which side note is confusing to me. He was alive in their time. How could that be him? Others say Elijah and still others One of the prophets from long ago has come back to life. What I see in these passages and many others is almost that everyone, at least at first, has a difficult time grasping who Jesus is, except for one particular group. In Luke 4, a man possessed by evil spirit yells at Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. In Matthew 8, Uh, A deranged man comes running down the shore at him naked. 
screaming at him and says, shouts at him and says, what do you want with us, son of God? In Mark 1, Jesus wouldn't let a demon speak because they knew who he was. In the stories of Jesus, a lot of people are uncertain about exactly who Jesus is and what he's up to, except for the demons know exactly who he is and exactly what he's doing. James wrote in his book, if you believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Who is Jesus? Who do the crowds say Jesus is? But the real question is, who do you say Jesus is? Not who do they say. Who do you say? Who do I say Jesus is? I began to like think about that question and the difference it makes in our lives and our own circumstances. And I start to think of a story about how Jesus was asleep on a mat in front of a boat in the midst of a crazy storm. Many boats were out there. He was in a boat with his disciples. They were fishermen. They were sailors. They understood how to work a boat and how to deal with storms. But this storm was taking them over. They didn't know what else to do. So they woke him up wondering first, why are you sleeping? This is a crazy storm. And said, hey, Jesus, do something about this. We don't know what you're going to do, but you need to do something. Have you been there? Have you ever been in like one of those crazy storms where it's just, it's kind of coming to the end and you just got to yell out, hey, I don't know what you're going to do, but I need you to do something. Get off and stop sleeping. Wake up and realize what's happening all around us. Because it's not just happening to us, it's happening to a whole bunch of other people. They're in the same boat. He stands up, kind of rebukes him, says, this is ridiculous, I was sleeping. You don't have any faith. And then he tells the storm to stop, and it does. And it becomes calm. I might think in that circumstance and situation, as those people are, are, are reliving that, as there's many boats to this account, and they all were a part of this storm, that they might say, Jesus is the peacemaker, I think of another story that just follows up that. They've just now been through this storm. It's become calm. They're out of their mind. They probably haven't slipped. They're pulling up on shore, and they're met by crazy naked man running at them just with chains, scars, bleeding, cuts all over him. He's been living up in the tombs, running at them. <laughs> you're night You, like, just wanted to get on the land, and now you're there, and you get that. <laughs> I can't imagine that situation. Like, <gasps> Seriously? <laughs> Next thing you know, he's down screaming at Jesus. What do you want with us? He casts the demons out into some pigs next door. The pigs go nuts. They run into the water. They die. That was weird. The guys that were watching him said, that wasn't right. Go into town and say, hey, guys, something crazy's going on. Timmy got out, and the pigs just all just jumped in the water to kill themselves. <laughs> so they come around the corner and come. They see, and what they see and they witness is that they witness this man clothed and of right mind at Jesus' feet. And he said, hey, that's crazy. I don't know what you're selling, but we don't want it here. You need to go. So they begin to get back in the boat. And they do their normal head count like you would do when you're on a field trip. They count their 12 disciples. They're one Jesus. You're at 13. But for some reason, they have 14. They realize Timmy hopped in. <laughs> you don't want to stay. And he says, hey, you got to go back home. You need to go to your family. You need to go make things right. You're of right mind now. You're clothed. I might think in that situation, the people and the family that were a part of his life might say, Jesus is a redeemer. 
gave him a second chance to redeem relationships in his life. Just following that, now they've gotten back in the boat. They're headed over to the other side. They come along, land again. And the story that we see is that a pastor is running around trying to find him to tell him that his 12-year-old daughter is extremely sick and I need you to come because I don't know what's going to happen and we can't figure out how to fix this. And it's my girl. As he begins to make his way there, the other crowds, they also want a little piece of him too, and they're clustering around him, and they're seeing him, they're following him as he's making his way through this town, and she's heard. This woman's heard that he's back, and she's been sick for a long time. She's unclean. She's not even allowed to sit there around there and be in amongst that community. She's gone and gotten the best the medicine can give you, and nothing seems to be working. But she's heard these crazy stories, this Jesus guy. And maybe, maybe, maybe there's something that can help. Maybe if I can just touch him, maybe something will happen. She knows this town. She knows as he works his way down the cobble road and makes that right on towards the pastor's house. Everybody knows where he lives, that there's an alley that she might be able to just cover up and sneak in just enough just to touch As they make their way there, she gets in there, reaches out, and just touches him. Quickly tries to get away. I can only imagine that moment as to not be seen so people don't realize that she's there and amongst all of those people, and especially just touched him because it makes him unclean as well. And he stops. And he says, someone just touched me. And they look at him, well, Jesus, everybody's touching. Everybody's touching me too. I'm kind of over it. Where's our bubble? Tell everybody to stop touching us. It's like, no, no, no. Something, something powerful has just happened. Someone just touched me. And I can only imagine that moment as she's still just trying to get away and sneak through this moment and every eyeball that's around there is looking at the back of her head. And he's stopping his look as it parts and realizes that everyone's paying attention to her. And everyone realizes at the same time, oh my gosh, she just touched him. She's unclean. What is she doing here? That makes him unclean. What's he going to do? You give it to her. We can't even believe this. And as he looks at her, he, he uses a word that I couldn't come up with if, I, if you gave me a thousand opportunities to say, what would he say now? What name would he call her in this moment? What does she deserve right now in this moment? And he looks down at her as she's laying there weeping and saying, I just, I don't know what to do. I just thought if I could just touch you, if I could just, I didn't know, I just have heard. And he looks at her and he says this one word. He says, daughter. What? You know what that did? He said, daughter, you are healed. He didn't just heal her and take it away. He looked at everyone else around her and says, you know what that means? You know what daughter means? She's mine. Don't mess with her. That's my daughter. I would think in that moment, those around might look at him and and her too and look and think, Jesus is protector. As he uh, is finishing up this moment in the situation, there's still some commotion as a couple guys make their way into this crowd, running to find the pastor uh, to tell him that his little girl is dead. 
They get to him and say, leave the teacher be. You don't need to bring him. We need you. The family needs you. She's gone. We need you here. Just come back. Let's leave him alone. And Jesus continues to make his way there as he watches the pastor work his way back to his husband as he's heard news that his daughter's passed away. He's been trying to get him for days on end now. And they, I can just imagine the scene as he's walking up and everyone's wailing and moaning and growing and grieving for this little life that's been lost as his mom, as mom has been sitting there watching her body just shake and sweat from this fever and slowly deteriorate, and deteriorate until it's finally just become lifeless. As the dad busts through that little adobe door and leans over, the wife comes and he embraces her in his chest and he looks over top of her and he can see his lifeless little daughter laying there. Thinking like, I tried, I couldn't get it this done fast enough. Jesus told him, hey guys, she's asleep. Some people outside laughed at him and said, this, is, this isn't a funny joke. And so he went inside, he took a couple of his disciples, he had everybody else leave, and mom and dad were in there, and he walked over to her and said, she's asleep. He reached out and touched her and said, Talitha Kahun, little girl, get up, I say get up. And she got up, and he held her hand. He said, hey, mom and dad, don't tell anybody about this. She was asleep, and she's hungry, make her some macaroni and cheese. <laughs> the hungry part really happened, the macaroni and cheese, I made that up, but... 12-year-olds like macaroni and cheese. In that moment, I would think maybe they would look at him and say, Jesus is humble. Why is Jesus humble? Because he didn't make it about him. He made it about that little girl. He cared more about her prom than he did his popularity. Hey, mom and dad, she was asleep. We don't want her to be this zombie girl. Nobody wants to take a zombie to the prom. Hey, that's that dead girl. No. They want her, he wants her to flourish. It's about her and her life and who she's going to be as mom got to watch her dad begin to watch her play once again because Jesus is humble. I think about uh, one of my favorite stories that uh, I've read and I've taught a lot and this new perspective came about. It comes from John 9. Many of you guys may have heard of it. It says in John chapter 9, As he went along, he saw, this is Jesus, as he, Jesus, went along, he saw a blind man from birth. That means since he was born, he couldn't see. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither, he said, this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him sent by me. Night is coming. When no one can do the work while I'm still in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said this, get this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with some saliva, and put it on dude's face, right on his eyes. And then it gets worse. He says, go, you got mud on your face, wash it off. So the man went and washed it off and he came home seeing. What? His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Hey, isn't this the same guy who used to sit here and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, No, no, no. He just looks like that guy. But he himself incited, Hey, I'm the guy. I'm that man. Well, how were your eyes open? They demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. 
Then he told me, go away and clean it off. So I went and washed, and then I could see. I said, where is this man? They asked him. He said, I don't know. Then they brought him in front of the Pharisees, and they said, hey, how this happened? And then they brought in his parents and says, hey, is this really your son? Like, he was blind, right? And they came in, and they look at him, and they're like, whoa, yeah, that's him. I don't know how this happened. He's old enough to tell you that, that, that I'm pretty, that's him. There's the uh, disease, a condition called an- anophthalmia. 30 in every 100,000 births have this. You're born with no eyes from birth. It's just, it, you have no eye tissue. It's flat. I was going to show you a picture, but I thought it freaked some of you guys out. <laughs> no, there's no eyes. This man was blind, blind from birth. What if he had anophthalmia? What if Jesus... The creator spit in the dirt to make mud, to take the same earth we've all been made from and created eyes. <laughs> Jesus, in that moment, I think that they all may have looked around saying, hey, I think that's the guy. I'm not sure if that's the guy. I think that's the guy, but he's got eyeballs. <laughs> Might say, Jesus is creator. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. You would say Jesus is servant. Jesus feeds 5,000 when really it was 10, 12, 15,000. You would say Jesus is provider. When Jesus uses that little boy's fish and bread, I wonder what that little boy thought. Have you thought about the little boy? Even more than that, have you thought about the little boy's mom? The night before, when that little boy is saying to mom, mom, there's like this Jesus guy, he's coming tomorrow and everyone's going to go and hear him. That's where they're going to spend their day. And mom's going, baby, people come all the time through here and they say all kinds of nonsense. You don't need to be going and hearing that. It's just another prophet saying all sorts of crazy stuff. But mom, and as she put him down that night, she knew, she knew he was going to go. Everybody's going. And that night, she decided, well, I'm going to make sure he's got lunch. So she got out that bag, and she put his lunch together because she didn't want him to be hungry, and she drew a heart on the outside of that bag. Because all day, she wanted to pray and say, God, will you protect his heart? Protect my little boy's heart. I don't know what he's going to hear and what he's going to see. And at the end of that day, when he comes walking in, and he's like, Mom! What'd you put in my lunch? It was crazy. <laughs> the guy was like, <laughs> and then all the everyone ate. There was like 12,000 people that ate the lunch you made for me, and I carried a little bag with a heart. Of, what? <laughs> Who are you, mom? Shh, I won't tell. <laughs> Can you imagine that? As a little boy, like, whoa. And for that woman to go, wow, I. He, he got to connect with me through, through that moment. For that little boy in that moment, I would say that they would say Jesus is hope. He's hope. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus stands next week, we'll talk about, in front of the governor. Jesus is I am. He is the great I am. Jesus asks, who do you say I am? And friends, Jesus is God.
That's it. That's what it is. Jesus is God. It's the trump card. So when I talk about God, I'm talking about the Jesus who invites us to embrace our weakness, our pain, our doubt, our anger, and whatever else. Whatever else is making us feel helpless that we are carrying around, offering it up to him in all of its mystery, strangeness, pain, and unresolved tension to God. Trusting in that the same way Jesus is offering of his body and his blood brings us a new life. This present pain and brokenness can also be turned into something new. The peace that we are offered is not a peace that is free from tragedy, illness, bankruptcy, divorce, depression, or heartache. It's a peace rooted deeply in the trust that Jesus gives us deeper, wider, stronger, and more enduring than whatever our current circumstances are. Because all we see is not all that there is. And the last word about us and our struggle has not yet been spoken. Who is Jesus to me? That's such an important question. One, Jesus is God. But beyond that, friends, can you answer that question? What's your story? Who is Jesus to you? Will you bow your heads? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.